This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You know, the fact that we found out about them when they were four months old and didn't bring them home till they were a year, there was an eight-month period where I feel like the Lord really knit our hearts to them in a special way. And it just felt so special because it had been something that I feel like, you know, we had labored for. From Christianity Today, you're listening to Adopting Hope, a podcast about adoptive, foster, and spiritual mothering. I'm Joyce Koo Dowerbull. And I'm Sasha Parker. We're both moms, and we're both adoptive moms. And on each episode of our show, you'll hear from a mom and sometimes a dad about their journey in adoption and foster care. Our hope is that this podcast provides hope and encouragement as you hear these stories. Whether you're an adoptive, foster, or spiritual mother yourself— an adoptee, or someone who just wants to encourage and love adoptive and foster parents. These stories are all windows into the gospel, the story of a God who adopts us and loves us with a redeeming love, and whose love empowers and compels us to extend that love through the unique joys and challenges that come from adoption and foster care. Thanks for tuning in. We pray this encourages you as you listen. And even when our hearts are breaking, On today's episode, our guest is Sarah Jones. Sarah and her husband, Don, live in the western suburbs of Chicago and have been married for 17 years. Together, they have four children, the oldest two adopted from Ethiopia and the youngest two biological surprises. In addition to being a wife and mom, Sarah wears the hats of teacher and nurse as she homeschools her oldest three boys and cares for her youngest daughter with special needs. She loves to share about how the grace of God has helped them wade through the waters of infertility, adoption, and caring for a medically fragile child. So Sarah... Could you give us a little bit of your history on if adoption was something that you've always kind of thought about or if it's just that your journey in life kind of brought you there when you first got married? Did you and Don talk about adoption? Yeah, I I wish I could say that it was something that had always been on our hearts or it was something that we had always wanted to do, but it really hadn't been on our radar, to be honest. We didn't know a lot of families who had adopted Neither of us had really been in churches that talked a lot about adoption, but after we got married, shortly after we got married, we started trying to have a family and realized that it wasn't going to happen as easily as what we had hoped, and we entered into a long season of infertility, and it was during that time, really, that the Lord began to turn our hearts towards adoption. I think there were a lot of things that He was doing in our hearts during that season of infertility. But one of them was definitely just opening our eyes to the need around us and also to the beauty of adoption. Once we started praying about it, it really felt like suddenly adoption was everywhere. 
and we read a book called Adopted for Life, and that had a really profound impact on us. And then it seemed like we would go to the park and see an adoptive family, or we would turn on the radio and someone would be sharing their adoption story. And so I think the Lord was bringing all of those things into our lives to really just confirm His calling on us to adopt. And we went from not really having ever thought about it to being really excited about it and really passionate about it and really sensing a call on our lives towards adoption. I know you adopted twin boys. And so when you started the process, did you think, yeah, you have to, when you're filling out these forms, you have to check what you're open to Mm -hmm. and even what you're open to in terms of age and special needs and so forth. So tell us how you got to the point of adopting twin boys from Ethiopia. Well, we actually always really wanted to have a large family And we figured that the adoption process was going to be long. And so we thought, why not adopt two at once if we can? So, yeah, we had said we were open to twins. We began praying specifically that the Lord would allow us to adopt twins. I didn't really have a preference of gender. My husband really wanted to adopt boys. We didn't know that it would be a possibility to even get twins because we didn't see that happening very often. But it was something that we began to specifically pray about and we ended up, the Lord answered that prayer. Mm. So were you immediately drawn to international adoption or had you thought about domestic? How did you make that decision? Yeah, I think that when we started researching adoption and just looking at what countries were open at the time and what the process would be like, we felt at the time that there was just a great need in Ethiopia. And I think now that we've been in the adoption world a little longer, we realize that there's a great need domestically as well and in other countries as well. But at the time, Ethiopia was kind of the most open country. They had a great need. The process was fairly quick, or so we thought. We had learned that we could probably do all of our paperwork, get a match, and have a child home maybe within about a year, which is very fast for international adoption. It's not like that anymore. Um, Actually, Ethiopia is closed. So all of those things kind of contributed to our desire to adopt from Ethiopia. But once we started to look into Ethiopia, I think God actually gave us a, a love for that culture and that people group. And we just fell in love with the country, even though we had never been there before. So I think that it was just the Lord's call on our life. And how old were your boys when you brought them home? Well, we actually found out about them when they were four months old. So I had said earlier that the process was supposed to be pretty quick. And what ended up happening for us was once we entered into the Ethiopia program, things just completely slowed down and went from going pretty smoothly and quickly to just being a crawl. And so our process ended up being about three years. And there were a lot of ups and downs in that process. We had a referral that we ended up losing. Um, That was really hard. Mm -hmm. And But we ended up finding out about our boys when they were four months old. And then we were able to bring them home when they were about a year old. So that was in 2012 that they came home. So Sarah, you ended up going to Ethiopia and living there for a bit, right? No, we didn't actually live there, but we did stay there an extended time. So we, I mean, it was really about two weeks for the second trip. So not that long. Okay. But what had happened was we had Ethiopia required two trips. We went the first trip, the boys were legally adopted. They were legally ours, but then there was this whole process of doing the paperwork and waiting till they could be able to come into the States. And so we had come home during that time 
And we just got to a point of just feeling like our boys are in Ethiopia and we're here and we are, we're not going to stay here any longer and wait. We're just going to go, go to the country, be there. Cause we knew we could take custody of them. So we flew over there, took custody of them, lived in a guest house and just prayed that the Lord would speed the process along. And thankfully he did. And we ended up only being there. I think it was now I can't remember. Um, it was about two weeks or so of that second trip. Wow. So was that helpful just to kind of to have a little extra time in their country, learning a little bit more about their culture? Was that a helpful time and even yes, for them to yes, transition? Yes, I would definitely say so. I feel like that honestly was just one of the greatest adventures of our lives. To be honest, it was just such a special time of learning to be parents together and being kind of stuck in Ethiopia, but we, we loved it. We were in this little guest house and the power would go out every day. And yeah, we couldn't have been more joyful. It was just like the culmination of all of those years of, you know, infertility first, and then an adoption process that was so long that like, when we finally were able to have our sons in our arms, it was just like joy explosion. You know, I think that we just, loved being there, loved taking care of them. We fell in love with the culture and the people of Ethiopia. There's really just a warmth to their culture. They're very friendly. You know, even when we would take the boys out into the streets and, you know, maybe go down to a coffee shop or something like that, people would stop us on the road and kiss the boys' cheeks. And they just, they loved them. You know, they would say, oh, what a beautiful baby. And Mm. yeah, so it was just a really special time. I would love to go back someday. Mm -hmm. I feel like we just, you know, we fell in love with the country while we were there. Mm. That's wonderful. So then you brought the twins home and were there any surprises? I mean, being a first time parent is really difficult, no matter whether it's like your biological parents or through adoption. But what were some of the things that maybe surprised you kind of along the way after you brought them home or were there any surprises? Well, by the time we brought them home, they were one and they were walking and they're both really curious, adventurous boys. And so it was kind of like, you know, they finally got home, we're in our house and they just went from corner to corner, opening every drawer and cupboard and pulling out everything they could see, you know, every electrical cord. It was just like they were everywhere. But I mean, we didn't know any different and we we loved it. I, I feel like we were, you know, we were tired and it was busy, but it was just such a dream come true to actually have them home that it didn't it didn't seem hard. It yeah. didn't it didn't feel hard. It was just such a joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds like a very special time yes. of just bonding yeah. and enjoying finally after waiting for so long. Yeah. And I think, you know, the fact that we found out about them when they were four months old and didn't bring them home till they were a year, there was an eight month period where I feel like the Lord really knit our hearts to them in a special way. And that was a special time for us in our marriage too, because we felt like we were, you know, fighting for our boys in the only way we knew how, which was to pray. And so we would go for walks around Mm. a park in our neighborhood and we would just pray for them. And we did a lot of fasting during that Mm. time because again, it was like the only thing we knew that we could do. And I feel like God was just giving us this intense love and devotion and commitment to them, even though they weren't technically ours yet. And Mm -hmm. we weren't, you know, we weren't their parents yet, but it was just a special time of just trusting them to the Lord and praying that he would let us be their parents and that, you know, we would be able to take them home. And so it was kind of like by the time that actually happened, it just felt so special because it had been something that I feel like, 
you know, we had labored for. Mm, yeah. And through prayer, I really feel like he knit your hearts mm. to yes. the boys. And I have a similar experience where we were matched. My husband and I were matched with our daughter from China for a full year before we got to meet her face to face. And just knowing that she was alive already and knowing mm-hmm. who she was and just praying daily, it felt like the waiting was so long. But at mm-hmm. the same time, what you're describing, Sarah, of just like God growing your love for this child and just being faithful and praying, mm-hmm. like you said, every day, mm-hmm. like praying for mm-hmm. this child because you can't hold them or know exactly right. how they're doing. And right. that longing and just praying and trusting that God is watching over them mm-hmm. even when you can't be there yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's really exactly. powerful. So, Sarah, tell us what happened next. So they're getting a little bit older. And were you guys thinking about adding to your family through adoption again or through pregnancy or what happened yeah. next? So as soon as we got home, we basically started the adoption process again because we had known it was going to take a long time. Our first adoption had taken close to three years and we knew we wanted to have more children. So we started the process again. You know, we had all of our paperwork done. We were waiting. We were the next family in line to get a match. And then we found out we were pregnant. And that was actually seven years after we had started trying for a family. So at that point, you know, a pregnancy really wasn't on our radar. It was still something that I think, you know, in my heart I longed for and had hoped would happen, but I, I just didn't know that it would. And so we were excited about adopting again. We had planned to adopt from Ethiopia again. Um, and then, you know, we found out that we were pregnant. So that put, yeah, yeah. That must have been a huge surprise. Yes, it was. And I, you know, it had been so many years and I had had so much Mm -hmm. just disappointment and heartache with it that I wouldn't even let my my heart go Mm -hmm. there. I wouldn't let my mind go there. I didn't even tell my husband anything, you know, when I knew I was late and that there was a possibility. And I was like, okay, I'm going to wait a week and then I'm going to secretly buy a test. And, you know, that's what I ended up doing because I just didn't want to get my hopes up again because I had gone through that for so many years. And yeah, I was just really... Just such a blessing. Mm. So is this Luke? This yeah. Is, so, okay. yeah. So then Luke was born in 2014. Um, our twins came home in 2012. So Luke was born two years after that. And then actually after Luke was born, we started the adoption process again because we just didn't expect that we would get pregnant again. And we still wanted to continue growing our family. Mm-hmm. So when we had gotten pregnant with Luke, we had gone on hold with our adoption agency. And as soon as we could go off hold, we entered the program again and we were waiting for another match. And I actually got pregnant again. And that baby, we actually miscarried at 10 weeks. So Mm. that was another sorrow in the Mm. process of building our family. Mm -hmm. And then actually, I think it was only two months after that, that we got pregnant a third time. And that is our daughter, Eden. So Mm. she was our last one that's been born to us. And she's our youngest right now. And Eden, I know that Eden has special needs, and I wasn't sure if you were like along the process, how early on that you discovered that and what was that like for you? Well, actually, I had gone in for a 20-week ultrasound, and so I went in, and I'm so thankful my husband went with me, and they were doing the ultrasound, and, you know, everything seemed fine, and then the technician kind of, you know, started acting a little different, and she's like, okay, 
you know, I'm going to call the doctor in and we're going to take a look at some things. And I remember the doctor coming in and him saying to me, you know, we're going to be talking and I want you to actually not pay attention right now and we'll explain everything later. (laughs) And so, you know, immediately you start thinking, okay, what's going on? What, what's wrong? And when they were done, they called us in to the doctor's office and he proceeded to tell us that a portion of her brain was missing. Mm -hmm. What they saw at the time was that she was missing her corpus callosum, which is the part that connects the two hemispheres of the brain. So he had said to us, you know, the result of this could be quite serious. You have about two weeks to decide if you're going to terminate this pregnancy. And how far along were you? At that point, I was 20 weeks. Okay. Yeah. So we hadn't known the gender at the time. We had wanted to be surprised. But when I had heard all of that, I said, you know, can you tell me if it's a boy or a girl? And he said, it's a girl. And, you know, I remember just this weird mix of just being so excited that we were going to have a girl Mm -hmm. and yet so, so sad Mm -hmm. that there was going to be something significantly wrong that we didn't, we didn't know at the time, you know? So he actually had advised us obviously to consider terminating the pregnancy, which we weren't going to do. But then he told us that he wanted us to start going in for weekly ultrasounds to Lurie's in Chicago, and they wanted to just continue to monitor the pregnancy. But at the time, our twins were four, and our son Luke was only one, and we just felt like I I couldn't put Mm. them through that. I couldn't go down to Chicago once a week and do another ultrasound and Mm -hmm. do another ultrasound. And so we opted to just not do any further testing and to just pray, pray for her healing Mm. and just wait. And then actually when she was born, we found out that her diagnosis was actually much more severe than what they had thought originally. Mm-hmm. And what is her diagnosis specifically, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, no, she actually has something called microlysencephaly. So microcephaly means small brain and lysencephaly means smooth brain. So her brain is just very small and underdeveloped. So what that means for her in terms of her development is that she is basically still like a newborn. So she's three, she'll be four at the end of June, but she doesn't roll over, she doesn't sit up, she can't reach for things, she doesn't have very much vision. Mm. And then one of her main issues that causes you know, some of the most harm in her life is that she can't swallow at all. So she takes all of her food by um, a feeding tube that's in her belly. And she even with her own secretions, she doesn't, she's not able to manage those. So for you or I, for anyone who's healthy, we don't even think about swallowing. And there's, you know, tons of times that you're swallowing and there's lots of muscles that are involved in that. And the brain sends those messages without us even thinking about it. But for her, her brain is not sending those messages quickly enough. And so even her own secretions will get into her lungs. So she's, you know, at a high risk for aspiration, for pneumonia. Mm. How how has this impacted the boys? Even going back to the pregnancy, did you share with the boys just about Eden's condition? And were they kind of a part of that. You know, when we were pregnant, we didn't because we didn't have a full understanding mm-hmm. of what it was going to look like and what, you know, what was going to happen when she was born. And then when she was first born, she was in the NICU for a few weeks and so, you know, honestly, I think if you were to ask the boys now, they probably don't even remember that. Mm-hmm. They were so well cared for and, you know, other people stepped in and would have them over and, you know, Don and I took turns. I was mainly at the hospital, but he really worked to just keep their life really normal and happy. And 
And it wasn't really until she came home and until they got a little bit older that they started to understand more. Because even for her, you know, a newborn doesn't do much anyway. And so I don't think to them the differences were as obvious. It was almost like they thought it was probably normal for every baby to be fed with a Mm -hmm. tube. And, you know, Mm because that was all that they had seen, really. Mm -hmm. So I think it's been more as they've gotten older that they understand how how severe she is. But I think honestly, like the Lord has just used it in their hearts mm-hmm. a lot and they love their sister. They're really good caretakers mm-hmm. of her. And, you know, they even help me with her medication. Sometimes I oversee it, but mm-hmm. they like to give her her meds at night. Mm-hmm. And so they'll come in and ask like, mom, what can I help with Eden tonight? And they help with her suctioning. I think, wow. you know, even there are adults that wouldn't feel comfortable mm-hmm. doing that. And they just they do it naturally. Wow. They they see her coughing and they know she needs that mm-hmm. and they'll turn the machine on and help her. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. been really such a, it's been such a blessing in so many ways. But I think one of them is that it has allowed us to talk about just the significance of being made in the image of God mm-hmm. and how, you know, for Eden, she's never going to contribute in a lot of ways, but her value and her worth doesn't rise or fall based on what she can do or what she can contribute. Her value and worth has been given to her by God, and it's because she is made in His image. And so I think that that has been something that we've talked to the boys about a lot, and I feel like they're getting that. Like they get that, you know, she's weak and she's you know, often she can, it can be kind of hard. She cries a lot. And, Mm -hmm. and yet I think they know, like she is made in the image of God and she is worthy of love and care. And they have stepped right into that. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, I feel like God does something in our children, even as he's doing stuff in our own hearts Mm -hmm. and teaching us that he's, he's in that process with your other children too, of shaping their hearts. And I think that's right. I think that like so much of what we learn is actually through just experiencing kind of hardship Mm -hmm. that other people can from the outside looking in or like, that's, that sounds unbelievable, mm. hard, like uh, impossible, yeah. like kind of hard. Um, yeah. But it sounds like as you're living it, that you've also experienced grace and blessing in the midst of the hard. And, you know, I can't imagine kind of like the shock and the grief of those early days as you're in your thinking, the doctors you said were just like, hold her loosely, don't expect her to live long. And here she is like almost four years old. Mm. Yes. So that, I mean, kind of living with grief and thinking, oh, she might go any day, but also like you've had her for many years and that must be a strange thing to hold in tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, you know, in the in the initial days, I would say the grief and the sorrow, honestly, it felt kind of like a monster, like mm-hmm. a huge weight on my chest. Mm-hmm. I would wake up in the morning and just feel like, is this really real? And just feel like I can't, I just... I can't make it. I can't keep Mm. going. And part of that was because I just had this, all I could see was that, you know, we were going to have a daughter who was going to be very sick and then she was going to die. So it was like, I, I knew ahead of me that I had one sorrow, the sorrow of her disability and her sickness and her suffering, and that that sorrow could only be replaced by another sorrow. Mm. And that would be her death, which at the time it felt like it was imminent. And so I, you know, really struggled in those days. But I think, honestly, God gave me people to Mm. talk to. Um, There was 
Actually, Nancy Guthrie had recently done a video and she had shared about her children. And I ended up emailing her and saying, I'm really sad about this. And, and you know, what encouragement might you give me? And, and she was so sweet to email back. And she said that someone had told her, and this was about her own children who died as infants, that God would completely accomplish his purposes for your child in the days that he gives to her. So, mm. you know, just thinking about that, like God has a purpose for Eden's life and he's going to complete that purpose in the number of days that he gives to her. And even that just gave me a tremendous amount of comfort. And then alongside of that, I just think of the verse that says that God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Mm. And I would say in those days I was crushed in spirit. And God just came near. I can think of really just vivid memories of times where, you know, I was in a situation and the Lord just spoke truth to my heart. And one of those, I remember I was sitting on my bedroom floor and I was trying to pump at the time so that I could feed her through her tube. But, you know, I knew I would never be able to nurse her. And I was really sad about that. And I was sad about her disability and just sad about everything. And the Lord brought to mind the words, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And it just was such a comfort to me to think, okay, he's going to be with me. We're going to do this together. And he's He's never going to leave me. And, and he'll be with me to the end of the age. And I remember like having just been sitting, you know, on my floor crying. And then the Lord brought that to mind. And it was such a comfort to me. And I remember other times, like one time I was leaning into her crib to care for her. And I don't remember specifically what I was doing, but sometimes the care can be a little tedious. You know, it's mm -hmm. measuring out the same medications. It's stretching arms that are too tight or, you know, flipping her position or any number of those things. And I remember, you know, him speaking to my heart and reminding me of the words, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. And it was like God just infused that service to Eden as a way to serve Him. Mm -hmm. And that just brought such peace and joy to it mm -hmm. because I felt like this is bigger than just Eden. Mm -hmm. yes. So, I mean, yes. I could tell countless stories of that, but I feel like it's mm -hmm. all just an evidence of God being near to the brokenhearted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. And Sarah, I just remember a couple times running into you at Costco. <laughs> so you were with um, Eden, you had her in a stroller, and you had, I think Luke was in the giant Costco cart because you couldn't put Eden in the cart. 
Right. And, um, but there is a peace and a grace surrounding you. And I remember we were just, we stopped in the aisle and we were just chatting and people were having to go around us and kind of looking at us like, what, what is this deep conversation (laughs) going on in the middle? But I always walked away from every conversation, just feeling encouraged by your bravery and seeing how the Lord is holding you up in the midst of suffering and just really admire just your courage and your willingness to share with others. And it's really profound, you know, when you mentioned reaching out to Nancy Guthrie, you know, we get to these places where we're kind of stuck. And it's really in those moments, if we don't actually reach out and kind of cry out for help, we can stay stuck. So that's really beautiful, too, just seeing you reach out, speaking your need, is really powerful. Are there words of encouragement you can give to parents maybe raising kids with special needs or just what words do you have for those who have to navigate, you know, maybe a complete, you know, their bottom drops out? Yeah. Well, I think honestly, one thing that's been really helpful to me is just having an understanding of the providence of God and his sovereignty over our lives. And that was actually something that I had really wrestled through when we were going through infertility, but just getting to the place of saying, God, you're in control and and your plans for my life are better than my own. And just, you know, often I've needed to hold out the promises of God and meditate on them and hold them before my eyes again and again until the help and the comfort comes. And, So I guess in terms of encouragement, I would say, you know, if you're going through something that's really hard, you can entrust yourself to the Lord and remember that he has promised to work all things for your good. I think also reaching out to others, asking for people to pray, asking for people to, you know, give words of encouragement who might have gone through similar things. I guess when I'm thinking about our own story, I remember actually before Eden was born, we had seen a family, we were at a family camp and we had seen a family with a daughter who had special needs. And I remember just thinking, oh, I could never do that. That just looks so hard. That would be so hard. And then, you know, a year later we had Eden and it has been very hard, but I also couldn't have expected the great joy that she has been to our family and also just the great gain she has been to our own souls. And so I would say, even if you're going through something hard. God is in the midst of that. I think I can't remember if it's a psalm or a poem. I think it's a poem. I don't think it's a song, but it says behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I don't know the rest of the, that goes along with it, but just the idea that God is in this for your good and suffering is often used by him to mature us, to grow us in our faith, to wean us off from the world and from loving our life here and helping us to put our hope in him and in his return. So, yeah, I would say, you know, when I first saw that family that had the really hard situation, I thought I could never do that. That would be so hard. And then we entered into that and it was, and it is very hard. And yet I would say there has been so much joy and so much good that God has done in our hearts and in our lives and in our family that I honestly feel like, you know, at the end of my life, I'll look back and say she was one of my greatest blessings. Oh, that's beautiful. 
I um, wonder how, because I feel like as you're talking, I, I feel so much hope and peace and acceptance of your situation just moving through, even when you grieve, you you kind of go through these different stages. And I feel like you've gone through these stages of grief to a point of acceptance and peace. And and then even beyond that, God has this for our good. And this is things that you are learning that you would never have been able to see through the same eyes. And our podcast is focused on hope. And I think for people who are in the midst of the hard in the valley, what would you tell others um, to help them kind of hold on to hope? I think about the joy that we'll have seeing her in the new creation with a perfectly whole and healthy body. And, you know, that's something that as a family, we talk about all the time. I mean, it's it's a very normal thing for our boys to say, do you think in the new earth we'll do this or that? Or, you know, it's just like something that we, we long for. And I think it's been helpful to me to remember that this life is very short. It's a vapor. It's a mist. And God is using the different things he brings into our life to conform us more into his image and into the image of Christ and to make us more dependent on him and more mature in our faith. And so, you know, I think if we can see that there's a purpose in it and actually that the time is very short, the time that we suffer is very short in light of eternity. And one day, all of that sorrow and pain and sadness will be gone Mm -hmm. and it will be replaced with all joy. And we'll be able to look back and see how God use that to mature us and to grow us. Yeah. So I would say that's one thing. I think another thing is looking back on the past faithfulness of God and how he has Mm -hmm. been faithful to you in different ways. I think of even just in our own story. So I had mentioned earlier that we lost a referral. So it was kind of a crazy situation, but we were matched with a set of twin boys and, and actually another family was matched with the same set of twin boys. And since you're both adoptive parents, you know that that should never happen. It was a huge, it was just a huge mistake. And so we thought we were getting these twin boys. This other family thought they were getting these twin boys. Oh and my goodness. The agency called us and said, you know, it was a huge mistake. We really are sorry, but they actually were ahead of you. And so, you know, you're not going to be able to adopt them anyway. It was very, very heartbreaking and sad, but fast forward, um, we become very close friends with this family. We found out that they actually live in the town that my family lives in, in Michigan. We attended the same college. They ended up adopting these boys. Our boys were in the same orphanages together. And so we ended up, our lives kind of became intertwined. And then they ended up having a couple years after their sons were home, they ended up having a daughter with special needs and she actually was missing her corpus callosum. No. She had, uh, yes. And so then, you know, a couple of years after that, we have our daughter with special needs and oh my goodness. the uh, wife's name is Monica. And, you know, I honestly believe that way back in 2011, when we lost that referral, mm-hmm. God meant to connect us with the Crandell family wow. because he knew that in 2016, I was going to need Monica mm-hmm. to lean on and to pray for me and to help me to navigate this new world. And so even just thinking back on that and thinking, Lord, that seemed really hard. That was a really yeah. hard thing to go through with losing the referral, but you were working in that and you yes. meant that actually for, for good. my good. You had actually prepared, you know, you were working so that, you know, all these years down the road, she would be this dear friend that would help me to navigate this intense grief, you know? So even that can stir hope because you can yes. look back and say, oh, you know, 
the Lord has been good to me. He's been faithful. He has supplied all that we've needed and has helped every step of the way. Mm -hmm. And so I can trust him with the future. And I think, you know, that's another part of it is that I think having gone through some hard things and seeing that God has been so near to us and Mm -hmm. he has so faithfully upheld and sustained us, given us so much joy in the midst of it, joy that comes from his presence. And I think that when I look ahead to the future, you know, we're praying about another adoption. Mm -hmm. We, you know, are praying about various things. And I feel like some of that fear is taken away because I feel like, well, you know, even if it's hard, it's hard. And I don't want to diminish that. But I also know that if God calls us into something and it's hard, he's going to be with us. We're not going to be on our own. We're not going to be left to navigate that by ourselves. And that's what that story just kind of illustrates of how, you know, God knew you were going to have Eden and he years before connected you with this other family. He's already like, he's like pre-equipping you, you know, as orchestrating all of that. It's just like, wow, God, like you are not leaving us alone. Mm, Like you are going to give us everything that we need for life and godliness and hard things. And so that gives us tremendous hope that we can be, yeah, we can trust this good God and his providence for us. So that is just a really amazing story. So you've all been home during the quarantine. Has that been, has it been hard? Because your boys were in school, right? What grade? Yeah. Okay. They're actually, they were in second grade. So they'll be third graders next year. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, honestly, our boys love to be home. And so I think that they've been a little bit thrilled with the idea that Mm. they never have to go to Costco with me or, you know, any other store and they're happy at home. And, you know, now things have loosened up to the point where we are letting them play with the neighbors and, you know, they're enjoying that again. But honestly, I feel like it was just a really good time for our family, just in terms of being together and spending quality time together. And how is Eden doing now? She is doing well. It's kind of a hard, I would say she's doing well, but it's kind of a hard thing to really decipher because, you know, with the nature of her disability, it is progressive and so there's a sense in which she's always getting worse she doesn't sleep much her brain does not regulate sleep and so it's very rare for her to sleep through the night in fact i don't even i mean maybe i could count on one hand the amount of time she slept through the night in the past almost four years so you know to someone who's on the outside they may look at her and say oh she seems about the same as she was maybe a year ago and and developmentally she hasn't changed at all since Mm -hmm. she was born there hasn't been a developmental marker that she's hit besides smiling and she does smile and she's just got the most precious beautiful smile you could ever imagine she's she really is a beautiful little girl but you know she hasn't hit those developmental markers and in, in a lot of ways she looks just the same as she did maybe when she was two you know there is a sense in which I have you know I've grieved this and have come to a point of acceptance and yet I still feel the sadness of it and there's you know a lot of times that just seeing her physically suffering it just it's so painful Mm -hmm. and so I think that what that has forced me to do is to set my hope fully on the grace to be given when Christ returns and to not put my hope in this world but to remember that he's coming back and he is going to make a new heavens and a new earth where there is no pain or sorrow or suffering. And Eden will be completely healthy in that world. And I will have all of eternity to enjoy her. And so I, I think that for me, like when that sorrow comes in, I have to just remind myself of those truths that like Mm. what I see is pain and suffering, 
But what is true is that this is not going to last forever. And this is a blip. This is a, you know, a blip in time. And while it's hard, like this is not the final story. This is not the final word. And that's right. You know, sometimes I even say those things out loud. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I'm holding Eden and, mm-hmm. you know, I'll say, you know, someday we'll talk to each other. Someday mm-hmm. we'll walk together, you know, and like yes. even the boys, they might say, I wish Eden could have ice cream with us tonight. And, you know, we'll say back someday she will, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's just a, it's a reminder that like, mm-hmm. this is not the final word. That's right. And she is so loved, you know, in your family and that love. I think she knows it, but that's a beautiful picture of what you'll be able to enjoy with her for eternity. Well, is there anything that we haven't asked that you would like to share with us? You know, I think I'm, I'm actually remembering a quote, and I think it was from Paul Tripp, and he said, be careful how you make sense of your life. Uh, the worst thing that ever happened was actually the best thing that ever happened. And he was referring to the cross. And he said, what looks like a disaster to you could actually be the start of something new and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so that has stuck with me Mm -hmm. to just remember that God is more invested in my good than even I am. And Mm -hmm. he's working for the greater good of conforming me to the image of his son. And that's what I want more than anything. That's Mm -hmm. what I want more than a comfortable life or ease or a lot of things in this world. And I think that when we say that God is more interested in our good than we even are, he has greater Mm -hmm. ambitions for our lives than we probably have for ourselves. And Mm -hmm. so I think just trying to remember to interpret life through that lens that God is for you and he wants for you to be made into the image of his son, to be like his son and to know him and to walk with him and to have fellowship with him. And often a way that he does that is through suffering. And so, you know, though suffering is not something that we seek out or we invite into our lives, I think we can know that it has a good purpose. It has a good outcome. Yes. Amen. Amen. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's beautiful, and you are a living testimony of just the power of God's Word, that it is real, His promises are real, and that He promises to sustain us when we suffer, and He enters in, and He understands our suffering, and it just offers so much hope. We're just so grateful for you and your family, and our prayers go with you. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Power of the resurrection living within. We've got this. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment and help us spread the word. Share about it on social media or leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. Adopting Hope is a production of Christianity Today. It was produced by Mike Cosper, Joyce Dalrymple, and Sasha Parker. It was edited and mixed by Alex Carter. Our theme song, We've Got This Hope, was by Ellie Holcomb. We'll be back next week with another story. Thanks for listening. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast. 
which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.